We are so thankful you decided to take time out of your day to listen to this sermon. Central to all of our services is gospel-centered teaching led by our senior pastor, Dr. Jeff Warren. Together, we are a church that seeks to follow Jesus every day, and we hope you are drawn closer to Christ as a result of this message. So we're done. The Romans road trip is coming to a close. Whew. If you're on a road trip, one of the nice things about being on a road trip, who likes to like go on road trips by yourself? You like to ride solo. You're, you're Maverick, Top Gun, that's how you fly. Mach 3 with your hair on fire, right? Yeah, so the nice thing about being by yourself on a road trip is you can pretty much do whatever you want. Music, loud as I want. If I want to put the feet on the dash, I can. I don't know how I'm working the pedals, but I can put them up there if I want. I can, I can eat. Who are my people that are like adamant about not eating in the car? Militant about not eating. It's a small population of not eating in the car. It's good. It's good. I will ride with you. I like to eat in the car. But when you immediately go into public transportation, say on an airplane, a bus, a train, you can't really do those things, right? You can't listen to music as loud as you want to. I mean, I guess you can, but it's very rude to do so. You can't just like spread out your Big Mac and Happy Meal and put it all over there because you get both of those together, and you can't really do that. If you're on a plane, you can't really lay your seat all the way back, right? You kind of want to be courteous to the guy behind you who's obviously uncomfortable. And see, you have to be courteous. You have to think about the needs and the feelings and the wants and the desires of other people who are on the trip with you. And as we walk through this Romans road trip, we've talked a lot about how faith is a journey. You're going on a trip, you're going on a journey, and for the most part, we've kind of privatized this. But this week, as we look at Romans 12, I want us to talk about how we take our personal faith, the faith that shapes us, the faith that drives us, that really makes us who we are, and we take it public. This isn't us trying to be different in one square than another, but there are rules and, and engaging culture, engaging the people outside the walls of this church becomes something different when we're around people outside of this church. And if you're like me, sometimes talking with other people about my faith is scary sometimes. It's concerning. And so what I want us to talk about it is how we can talk to culture, how we can approach culture around us with the gospel from a Christian perspective and occupy a seat at the table of the larger culture around us. Okay, so that's what we're talking about today. We're in Romans 12, like I said. And the way I want us to do this, I want us to look at this as uh, kind of a three-ring circus. So we're going to look at three rings, and then we go through the three rings in order to uh, sort of engage culture. So the first ring, the one ring to rule them all, is love God. Love God. So verse 1 of chapter 12, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. This is probably the biggest therefore in all of scripture. It does a lot of heavy lifting. It carries a lot of weight. And the reason why it does this is because the therefore it represents, okay, because of everything we've talked about in Romans 1 to 11, here's what we're going to do with it. Romans 1 through 11 is, is heavy on the this is what is. This is the situation. This is the state of being full of indicatives. When you get to Romans 12 to 15, the tone shifts. This is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to act. This is the, the imperative portion of it. So Paul is exhorting us, the appeal, I appeal to you, therefore, that also can be I exhort you, which is to encourage with authority, to think about what God has done for you, as explained in Romans 1 to 11, and then live your life in alignment with it. 
So we're supposed to remember that God graciously poured out his love on us when we didn't deserve it. We were enemies. We were opposed to God. We didn't want anything to do with him. We were hostile to him. And he graciously sends his son. He enacts a plan that existed before eternity ever began, or in the beginning of eternity. He he enacts a plan to send his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. To keep the law that we couldn't keep, Jesus keeps it for us. And then he dies and pays the penalty that we couldn't pay. And now, those of us who have placed our faith and trust in his death, burial, and resurrection, we've been adopted as sons. We have the Spirit of God poured inside of us. We are able to walk with Christ. And so now we have something that we need to do in response. Look at verse 1 again. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. We offer everything we have to him. And this isn't paying him back. That's not what this is. This isn't paying God back. You can't pay God back. The, the, the debt is too great. This is worship. This is love. Giving him everything that we have, everything that we are, that is loving to him. It's how we show him love. It's, uh, Paul calls it reasonable, logical, the spiritual worship. That Greek word can also be translated reasonable, logical. It makes sense. God who has done so much for us, we would in response do so much for him. It's a sacrifice. And I think it's cool that, God, that, that Scripture pictures this as a sacrifice because what really is love? Jesus shows us that love is a sacrifice. It's laying yourself down for other people. And so the way that we show our love for God is we sacrifice. We sacrifice. We sacrifice uh, our jobs, our plans for a family, our plans for for a future. We sacrifice our goals, our 401ks, our marriages, our homes. But we also sacrifice integral parts of who we are. Sacrifice our personalities, our likes, our dislikes. Our habits, our ideas, our politics. In a sole, singular pursuit of Jesus Christ. And the culture around you is not going to understand that. It's not going to understand that. It's not going to get that. Here's why. Culture desires conformity. It's what culture wants. It is not bad. It's not good. Conformity is not a bad thing. It's also not a good thing, right? Culture is, if you're wondering what a a kind of quick and easy definition of culture, it's a manifestation of the arts and intellectual achievement. And because it's a manifestation of art and intellectual achievement, it kind of pushes people to kind of follow a certain direction. We've all been, been conformed by culture. Let me give you an example of how it's not bad. It's actually a good thing. At some point, some politician that you voted for lost the election. And rather than going to the streets, rioting, turning over a car planning a coup or an assassination attempt, you just kind of went to bed that night and said, well, well, we'll get him in four years. We have been conformed to trust the democratic process. And that creates peace, stability, and harmony in our country. And that's a good thing. That's not a bad thing. But culture desires conformity, so much so that when those of us who are pursuing Christ singularly, because culture does not pursue Christ singularly, when we start pursuing Christ and we break with culture, culture is like, wait a minute, you're not conforming. That's a problem. And there's friction. Now, sometimes this friction isn't that big of a deal. Sometimes culture looks at us as, uh, as an oddity and ultimately harmless. This is what we do with the Amish. The Amish we look at and we say, wow, that's really cool that they're that committed to their faith. They don't really cause any disruptions in society unless you get behind a, a buggy in Pennsylvania. You're good to go. Other times... Nonconformity is viewed as hostile. 
and it has to be eliminated, and it winds up being persecuted. This is what happens to the Roman Christians in the first century. They are viewed as disruptive, and so it has to be eliminated. They're destroying order. Other times, because you're not conforming, because you're following Christ, you receive pressure from the culture around you to conform, and you either get in line or you're marginalized. This is what happened to you in high school. Free therapy lesson. (laughs) High school is all about pressure to conform. And those that don't conform are marginalized. And Paul says, Paul has a recommendation about this. Verse two, do not be conformed to this world. Don't be conformed. Don't let conformity be your sole goal. Let it be something else. What is it? Keep reading. Be transformed, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So what does offering God all of my life look like? It looks like this. It looks like a transformed mind. Paul says that we become living sacrifices by stop focusing our, our, stop being conformed to the world and instead being focused on having our mind renewed and transformed by God. And I think that's interesting. He doesn't talk about a transformed heart. He doesn't talk about a transformed spirit. He talks about a transformed mind. Our minds have been warped by sin from the get. And then from there, it's been conformed by a culture that sometimes gets it right and sometimes gets it wrong. And unless our mind is being transformed by the Spirit of God living inside of us, we'll just accept everything culture gives us. Instead, we have to go to the Lord and we have to seek Him out and say, Lord Jesus, I desperately want my mind to be transformed so that I can discern what is right to hold on to in culture and what I need to let go of. We need to pray and seek God and that he would, we would have discernment in what he wants for our lives. God needs to help us know what is good in culture because there are some really good things in culture. And then there are things we need to let go of and we need discernment and only God can provide that for us. We need to immerse ourselves in God's word. We've been reading through the Bible this year and we lost some of y'all somewhere around Deuteronomy and we lost others of you down around Ezekiel And the rest of us, the righteous remnant, are are pressing forward, right? (laughs) We're going on. August 25th is when all of us are going to hit the New Testament. So if you want to re-up with us, mark August 25th as your day to start the New Testament with us and immerse yourself in the Word of God because we need to know what his thoughts are about us, about himself, and about the world that we live in. We need to be in God's Word. We need to recognize that our minds don't need changing. They need transforming. And so that helps us when we go and engage the culture around us. Because most of us feel like we have to change that coworker's mind. We've got to convince him that, that the gospel is right. We've got to win every argument. Your job is not to change minds. I'm going to release you of that right now. Go, whew. Nice, thank you. You've got a little Pentecostal in here. I like this. No, we, we don't change minds. We pray that God would transform minds. And that's not our job. That's his because we needed a transformed mind first, so we know that a changed mind doesn't really do anything. It's a transformed mind. And as this takes place, our love and affection for Jesus Christ will grow, and it will become attractive to people outside the culture. But some of us approach the table of culture, and we speak with a voice that we label as Christian, and we use the name of Jesus, but it's not actually Jesus' perspective on culture. We haven't really spent any time in the Word, or if we have, we've gotten some bad info, and we present a view that's not Christ. 
It's something that's labeled Christianity, maybe cultural Christianity, and instead we're arguing for our own policies, our own positions, our own beliefs. The church has done this before. And there are ways we do it now. One of the worst ways that we did it as a denomination, the Southern Baptists were founded in the 1800s over what? Slavery. The convention defended slavery because economics and not reading the scriptures to understand that every human being is created equal, that didn't matter at that time. Something else took precedent over God's view of his creation. We've since repented of that and moved on, praise the Lord. But we're susceptible to it because Jesus needs to work and transform our hearts and lives. And if he's not, if we're not spending time with him, if he's not transforming us, we will present a case to the culture around us that is not Christ. And we wonder why they don't find him winsome. The reason why they don't is because we're not presenting him with who he really is. So if we're going to engage culture, the first thing you have to do is you have to love God. You have to spend time with him and have deep, deep fellowship with him. Otherwise, the image that we'll project is not his, but something else entirely. Then we move to the next ring. The next ring is to love the people of the church. Now, you might think it's odd that I'm stopping here, but it's very important that we love the people of the church before we go outside the walls of the church. Because if you can't agree with people and get along with people and have harmony with and have good discourse with people with whom you agree on most major issues, you're not really going to get along with people who disagree with you completely in other ways. And so what's really cool about what Paul does is here, he gets really practical. Verses three all the way down. They're all commands. Just boom, boom, boom. This is what you need to do. This is what you need to do. This is what you need to do. So that's how we're going to read it. And we're going to look at these for the rest of our our time today. We're going to look at these as just short directives, okay? So the first thing he tells us to do in verse three is to be humble. Be humble. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So if you're going to engage the people around you, if you're going to be a healthy part of the body of Christ, you need to have an accurate perspective of who you are. That's sober judgment. I don't need to think too highly of myself. I don't need to think too lowly of myself. So when you walk in the walls of the church, when you fellowship with other believers, you need to let go of pretension. You need to let it go. You're not better than anybody else. You also need to let go, though, of apprehension. You're not worse than anybody else either. We're all sinners saved by grace. And he says here, to the measure of faith that God has assigned. You know what that means? We're all equal to the cross. We've all been given faith by God. We all, we're sinners. Now we're saved by grace. Those of us who put our faith in Christ. We've been restored. Our minds are being renewed and transformed. And so I don't come in here thinking I'm better than anybody else. I also don't think I'm worse than anybody else. I have an accurate perspective of who I am. And here at Park Cities, I actually feel like we value humility. In fact, I'm really proud of how humble we are. <laughs> Sorry. I'm really, I, I'm excited about it because... It's one of our values on staff. We talk about it. It's kind of drilled into us that we have a humble staff. We want to have a humble staff. We want to have a humble staff. And it's something we work on. We talk about a lot. I would say our interactions with one another need to be guided by the fact that I'm talking to a brother or sister in Christ who Jesus Christ also died for. So let's remember that we're all saved by grace. When there's disagreement, when there's questions that you have about things that are happening in our church, Approach it with humility. One of the ways you can do this is you can say, I don't know everything about this subject. I don't know everything about everything. You know how I know you don't know everything about everything? Because I spend a lot of time here and I don't know everything about everything. 
I don't know everything that happens here. And sometimes I walk into a meeting and I'm surprised that something's taken place. I'm like, oh, I didn't know that was going on. Look, one of the humble things that we can do is we can ask questions and say, hey, I think I'm hearing this. I'm probably not, though. I'm probably getting it wrong. Can you help me understand what's taking place? Given our cultural moment, and given the fact that Park City seeks to be a church that's, that's uh, ministering and engaging our city, change happens here, and it happens here frequently, I think. At some point, the wave of change will hit something you care very deeply about. And the way that it is done, the way that it has always been done, may not be the way that is best. And we'll lose something that you value deeply. It's happened in my life. It's happened to me before. Part of humility is recognizing that there's a bigger picture. Part of humility is, is asking questions about what's happening. And then part of humility is saying, I may disagree with what's happening, but I, I, I love you and I support you and I want to help make this happen in any way that I can. That's part of being humble here. We need to be loving. I'm going to skip uh, Romans 4 through 8. That's about spiritual gifts. If you want to know more about spiritual gifts uh, and how they work, you can listen to the podcast that we have from Doctrine and Dessert a few weeks ago. Let's look at verse 9. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. So the phrase, let love be genuine, that's kind of the the banner over the rest of the entire uh, chapter of Romans 12. Let love be genuine. That's why love kind of drives each of the points we're talking through uh, today. He says that real love is going to affirm what is good, so what God honors, what God desires, and real love's also going to resist, call out what God does not want. So it is loving for me to be encouraging. It is loving for me to affirm in you what is good. And that's one of the things I love about Park Cities. I'm encouraged by being here. In fact, I was a member here. I was just attending church here while I was in seminary, and I was given an internship, and then I was given a part-time job, then I was given a full-time job, and the point where here I am speaking to you on a regular basis. You all encouraged me in the gifting that the Lord has given me and have allowed me to continue to serve and minister in this place, and I love it. This is my family. This is my church family. So I want to encourage you in that. Look for people. Build them up. Encourage them. At the same time, we also need to be willing to challenge one another. Sometimes this means calling out sin you see in somebody else's life. Don't need to look the other way. It's loving for me to say, you're not doing something that's honoring God. It's destructive for you. It's destructive for the body. Stop it and let me help you stop it. Other times there's issues that aren't sinful. Matters of disagreement between two people. It is okay for you to call that out too. It's okay for you to say, hey, I don't like the way the direction this is, this is happening. I'm concerned about this. Can you talk to me and give me some reasons? And even then, you don't have to necessarily agree. It's important that you feel heard. I would encourage you not to do this by email. We laugh, but it's our favorite mode of sniping people from a distance. I'm going to hide behind a computer, I'm going to fire off an email, and then I'm going to avoid any opportunity to meet with this person. Hiding behind an email other than to set up a meeting to talk about a difficult issue is cowardice. It's cowardice. Don't hide behind an email. Talk face-to-face with people with whom you have a problem. So we need to be humble. We need to be loving. We also need to be proud. Verse 10, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. So wait, Travis, you just said to be humble. Now you're saying to be proud. You've contradicted yourself. I really haven't. Promise. The word that Paul says here, this brotherly affection... Is, is a familial kind of love. It's a familial love. And I don't know about you, but healthy families typically brag about one another, right? Like, you probably, even today, 
Somebody's asking you, hey, how's everything going? You'd be like, oh, my, my, my kid did this. I'm so, I'm so proud of my son. I'm so proud of my daughter. I'm so thankful. Healthy families brag on each other. I try not to brag from up here about my family, but if you ask me, I love my family. They're fantastic. My wife's brilliant and beautiful. My mom and dad are sitting over here. They're great. They raised me well, I think. <laughs> families brag on each other, not on themselves, but on one another in the family. We need to brag on one another. We need to outdo one another in showing honor. We need to point out things and people in our church that we're super proud of and say, hey, they're doing a great job. I'm proud of our church. I really am. I'm proud of our kids' ministry. I would not want to be a kids' minister. It's not because I don't like kids. I actually do. The world outside of here changes so quickly that for us to uh, ably and, and, and effectively engage children and youth, we have to innovate constantly. That is a, a daunting task. That's scary for me. I, I, I'm proud of the way our people do it. We're doing new things every single year to try and reach kids. Parents, there's a, there's a new program coming up in the fall. We've, we've innovated again. Parenting for the common parent. It's opportunities for you in discipleship, technology, marriage, gender identity, things like that to talk through your kids with. You want to be a part of that on Wednesday nights in the fall. I'm proud of our traditional worship service. They do a great job. And, then, and you all know this because around Christmas and Easter, this room's about half full because all of y'all are over there because Stephen and the gang have turned it up to 11 and we all want to worship over there, which is great. We should be proud of what they do over there. Our and Espanol group is awesome. Do you know they have been without, without a pastor, Sam, retired uh, a, a while ago? They've been at, without and they've been going. They've been looking for God's man for them and, and, and it's amazing what they do over there. Because they worship and they're trusting God to give them a leader. I'm excited about what happens in here. I don't know if you all know Courtney, but Courtney started singing up here and, and, and really singing, like just singing and, and kind of, but over time she's blossomed into this worship leader and it's awesome. And you know who's helped her do that is Megan. Megan's kind of taken her under wing and encouraged her and instructed her on how to help lead worship. And we had Women leading worship, and that's awesome. That's a good thing. Today, even. It's a good thing. We need to be proud of who we are as a church because God has brought us together for a purpose. We need to be passionate and hopeful. Verse 11. Verse 11. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. One of the hardest things to do as a follower of Jesus is to endure, to make it to the end. Time and life has just a way of beating things out of you. And that passion and that zeal that you feel at certain times, time just kind of wears over, out. My encouragement to you is when you come here, when you walk into this place, be passionate. Be excited. Be expectant that God is going to do something great today. Even now, if you would, pray that God would, would move in the hearts of people. As Jeff's preaching, as I'm preaching the preaching in the Espanol service, as, as, as the word of God is going out, let's be hopeful and expectant, passionate about what God is doing here, and be zealous. We should be excited about things like baptism. We've got a baptism service on September 8th, an outdoor baptism. If you haven't been baptized, come to the Next Steps area. Just go through those doors. You'll see my smiling face over there. And I would love to talk to you about baptism. Baptism is a great way to show our passion and our zeal. We also need to be generous. Verse 13. Verse 13. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. 
One of the ways that we are generous, one of the ways that we, we engage the people around us is we take on their burdens as our own. I think this is a generous church. We need to also be generous with our abilities, with our gifts, with our time. Every year at this time, we ask for the same thing. What is it? Preschool. They need workers. They need workers. It's, it's literally every year, y'all. Like, it shouldn't be a surprise. It's great to hang out with kids. And if you can, if you have the opportunity, the ability, volunteer to do that. Be generous with your person. Offer that as a sacrifice. Our middle school ministry is moving to a master teacher with table groups. And they need table group leaders. And this is a cool new way that they're, they're innovating. They're trying to reach kids. It's great. Go be a table leader. If you want a crash course in cultural engagement, go hang out with a bunch of middle schoolers. They will get you up to speed very quickly. Right? So I've spent a lot of time with the church because the church is God's vehicle through whom his gospel goes forth. The people in the church, that's who we are. So we need to interact and love one another well. We also, at the last ring, ring three, we need to love the people of the world. Now before we, we talk about this, I want to talk about two things. Remember, love being genuine is the banner over this. So we're still talking about love being genuine. That's important that we keep that in check. And the other thing is this end of Romans 12 is all about engaging with people outside the church. And then you hit Romans 13, which is the famous passage about politics and authority and submitting to authority. Notice that cultural engagement in the end of Romans 12 happens before political engagement in Romans 13. As a body of believers, the sum total of our cultural engagement cannot just be voting. It can be a part of it, but you're, you need to be more than just politics as you engage the world around you. So let's look forward to how we can engage the culture around us. The first thing we need to do is we need to speak up. We need to speak up. Verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. One of the central ideas of Christianity that I wish we held on to a little tighter is the idea of non-retaliation. We don't fight back. So many of us are so eager to win every argument, win every battle, but that's not what Christ calls us to do. He calls us to turn the other cheek. So from our homes to our churches to our jobs, speak up, but speak up with a blessing. Speak up with mercy. Speak up with forgiveness. Speak up with restoration. Don't come back with, a, with an answer, even if you have one. My quick-witted brothers and sisters in here, being right, being funny isn't always the win. The win is blessing, not cursing. Sometimes we get blamed for stuff as a church. Not just Park Cities, but the church with a capital C. And sometimes that blamed is earned. The Crusades, not a good time for us. And sometimes that blame isn't earned. But our response to being blamed by the culture around us is to own the things that we can own and then to respond with mercy and forgiveness and say, yeah, that's not really the church. But I forgive you for saying that. And love them anyway. Speak up by praying. Speak up by seeking God to work and move in our culture. We have a lot of problems in our society. I mean, just last week we had shootings. And people were like, oh, thoughts and prayers, it gets decried. You know what? I understand why. Because people just say it and then they don't do anything with it. I get it. But John Bunyan said, you can do no more than pray until you pray. And you can't do more than pray until you've prayed. So let's be people who pray and then go and act. Let's be people who pray and then go and act. We also need to celebrate and grieve. Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Paul calls us to do two things, rejoicing and grieving. You know why? 
Because there's human beings out there. The culture out there is grieving and celebrating at the same time, simultaneously. It's happening all the time. And you know why we should celebrate and mourn? Because we're human beings. And human beings celebrate and they mourn. And guided by the renewal of our minds, we're able to grab and to discern and say, yes, we're going we're gonna to celebrate with our culture about this. This is a great thing. Woo! Good stuff. And then we're able to grieve and say, this is such a tragedy. I cannot believe the loss of life. I cannot believe the situation that's taking place. Celebrate and grieve. The best place for you to probably do this on a daily basis is at your job. You interact with people who are not like you there every single day. And every single day, each one of the people you work with is in this cycle of celebration and grieving, celebration and grieving, celebration and grieving. We're all moving from one to the other at any given time. So don't wait for your office manager to throw a baby shower or a bridal shower. Take charge. Do it yourself. Celebrate with people when they get promotions. Maybe it's a promotion that you wanted. Guess what? Take that person to lunch. Or since they got the promotion, make them take you to lunch. <laughs> and celebrate with them and say, hey, I, I really wanted this job, but I'm really excited you got it because you're going to do a great job. And if I can help you, I will. Talk about different. When somebody gets laid off, Take them to lunch and say, hey, I'm really sorry that this happened. I really, I, I mean, there's part of me that's scared for my own job, but I can't imagine what you must be going through. Can I help? Grieve with those who grieve. Go to funerals for your coworkers. Take time off for work to go be there for people. A lot of America is disenchanted with work, but I believe that Christians can come into the workplace and make a difference. Your Monday morning is so important. We need to change our tone. That's the next thing we need to do. Change our tone. Verse 16. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Oftentimes, because we're Christians and we know Christ, and because we believe we have all the answers to salvation and the eternal promises of God, we come across not as loving, not as merciful, not as kind, but arrogant, prideful, distant. We need to change our tone. We need to change the way we engage. And Paul has said, the way you change your tone is by spending time with people who aren't like you, the lowly. Those people that you look down on that you think you need to help them, guess what? They maybe need to help you. The scripture is not clear as to whether this is hanging out with lowly people or doing lowly tasks. Either one fits the bill. Spend time with people who have different opinions than you do. And don't be wise in your own sight. Don't think you're going to offer them something. Maybe trust that the Lord is going to offer you something through them. You are never, ever, 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 ever going to soften your tone when you engage with people who think differently than you if you spend all your time in an echo chamber listening to people who agree with you all the time. So let's all make an agreement here right now. Some of you are like, what am I getting into? Let's agree that we don't get to have an opinion about anything until we've sat down and listened to somebody else's opinion from the other side of the aisle. I'm going to wait to voice my opinion until I've gotten some information from somebody who lives that, who walks that, who holds the other side of the, of the, of the argument. Don't be afraid to seek somebody out. Odds are you know somebody that's on the other side of the aisle than you. Spend time with them. Change your tone. If you want to engage the culture around you, this is the biggest and the most important thing that you can do. Change the way you talk about it. Notice that I said culture's not bad, it's also not good. We're a part of culture. We should have a warm tone towards it. So we also need to create and cultivate. Verse 17, create and cultivate. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought 
Let's premeditate, that's plan, to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with everyone. Conflict with culture is going to happen because we're pursuing Jesus, remember, and culture desires conformity. So when we break ranks, culture's like, whoa there, buddy, get back in here. We're like, no, 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 I'm going this way. Conflict will happen. But that doesn't mean that, that there has to be uh, divisiveness and, and anger and strife. We don't have to engage the culture the way that it engages us. And one of the ways that you do this is you create, you cultivate, you contribute to the culture. We don't go and remove ourselves from culture. We build into it. And one of the ways that you can do this is through the arts. The arts are a great way that you can build into culture. Painting, sculpting, music. I mentioned this guy before, if you've heard me talk about him, Pete Doctor. I love Pete Doctor, and some of y'all don't even know who he is. You've seen his films. He works for this little company called Pixar. And he makes movies about toys and about emotions and about an old man and a dog and, and, and a little boy who's in Scouts. That's up, by the way, in case you're totally lost. And you want to know why like, that cuts you to the heart when you watch those movies? Because Pete Doctor loves Jesus. He's a believer. And he's making movies that tell you the gospel through things that are, which is awesome. I love Pete Doctor. I keep trying to get him to speak here, and he, he's always, always busy making his movies. Go be the next Pete Doctor. Wherever you are, just engage culture and cultivate, build into it, help make things good. Lastly, trust God and do good. Verse 19, beloved, never avenge yourselves. But leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We're obsessed with getting the last word. We need the last word. But you know what scripture just said? You know who gets the last word? God does. And we need to show that we are people of faith by trusting God to get the last word. And saying, you know what? Yeah, we're under attack right now. But you know what? I'm not going to retaliate the way that culture comes after me. Our culture is loud. It's polarized. It's angry. It's quick to point out flaws. It's incredibly critical. And Paul says at the end, don't be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. You know what that means? You know how we lose the culture war, which is not really a thing, but we like to use that? You want to know how you lose that? You become conformed to the world, and you do exactly as they do. When they yell, we yell louder. When we get, they get mad, we get madder. When they fight hard, we fight harder. No, 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 no. We overcome that with good. Our minds are transformed. They're being renewed. So let your mind be renewed. When you're attacked, when, you're, when, you're, when you read a story that, that paints Christianity in a bad light and you, and you get frustrated with it, you turn that over to the Lord and say, Lord, look what they're saying. Forgive them. Help me to love them. Because it's not really an us versus them. We're a part of the culture. We have a seat at the table. Let's use it. And let's use it by loving God. Being close to him every single day. Otherwise, we're not going to present Christianity right. Then let's love the church. Let's love the body of believers. This is our family. Let's not try to align with culture by throwing the church under the bus. That doesn't work. And then let's love the culture well. By doing the things that Paul talks about. Being humble. Softening our tone. Creating and cultivating doing good, overcoming evil. And I think you'll find the place at the table is effective. What I want to do at the last here is I want to pray for our college students who are heading off to school or going back to school. You guys are about to engage culture in the universities, and that's a great thing. And I want to pray for you and pray that God would help you 
to have a transformed mind, not be conformed, to take what is good at university and to leave behind what is not. So I'm going to pray, and then we'll uh, be dismissed. Father God, we are so grateful to you for the goodness, the greatness that you are. I pray that you would transform each person in this room. Continue to transform us, Lord. Shape us into your image. Make us more like you. Help us to think like you and less like ourselves, less like our culture. Rescue us from our warped mind. Help us to not be conformed anymore to the image of this world, but to be transformed. I pray that we would love the people around us well, whether in the body of Christ or outside of it. I pray for our college students as they go out. Pray that you would be with them. Pray that you'd watch over them as they travel. I pray that you would help them to learn and to grow and to mature. I pray that they would find bodies of believers to be a part of, that they would connect in churches, not just in ministries, but in churches where they can serve and build into the body of Christ and have the body of Christ built into them. I pray that you would be honored by them. I pray that they would return to this place, not only seeking a job, but seeking how they can serve you here or in another church in Dallas. We love you. It's in your son's name. Amen. Thank you for taking time to listen to this sermon. Come and join us as we seek to follow Jesus every day. We meet every Sunday at 9.15 a.m. for our small group Bible studies called Connect Groups and 10.45 a.m. for worship. We hope to see you soon at Park City's Baptist Church.